originated from a conversation that I shared with uh, my wife Bethany uh, when we were at a marriage retreat down in Branson back in February. That was before the pandemic actually hit, and so we got to enjoy a weekend uh, with some of our other uh, church family church members, and it was a wonderful experience. But on the Saturday during our lunch break, uh, we sat down to eat, and we just started talking about what we were learning at this retreat, and we started discussing um, examples of marriage and family that were given to us in the Bible. And as we talked about some of the better illustrations of faithfulness, uh, two names just kept popping up in our discussion, and that is Boaz and Ruth. Now, for those of you who may not be as well-versed in the Scriptures, uh, in the front half of your Bible, also known as the Old Testament, there is a book called Ruth. It is the eighth book in the Bible. It's a small book. It only has four chapters, so you can easily read it in a single sitting. probably takes you about 20 minutes or so to finish it. And the, the story revolves around the faithfulness of a young woman from the region of Moab called Ruth. And she decides to travel with her mother-in-law, Naomi, back to the Israeli town of Bethlehem after their husbands pass away. And uh, if you look through Ruth, uh, probably the most famous verse in the book is found in the first chapter when Ruth actually tells Naomi, Entreat me not to leave thee, or to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go, and where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God, my God. That's Ruth 1.16. And it just talks about her testimony from going from a, from a nation that served pagan idols to serving the one true God. It just shows faithfulness that anybody can follow God and change their lives. So as we open our Bibles to the book of Ruth, I would like to primarily focus on the testimony presented by another important figure that we are introduced to in chapter 2 by the name of Boaz. And particularly, I want to follow his example of being a godly leader in the home. Now, don't despair, ladies. I don't plan on neglecting you in the sermon. I do want to primarily focus on being, a, on, you know, being a godly man. In fact, the title of the sermon is Boaz, Portrait of a Godly Man, but I don't want to leave you out. Uh, but there are going to be occasions when I will be calling out the men to step up in their God-given responsibility as leaders. Again, this isn't to say that the woman can't lead in the home, but it is the idea that they shouldn't have to, especially if the man is present. And I speak on behalf of myself as well. This is a struggle for me as I strive to serve God better and to be an example in our home. And so let us look together at the man named Boaz and how he portrayed godliness. But before we do, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, again, we just want to say thank you so much for this day. And Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we can find inspiration to live a godly life. And most importantly, that we can find the hope of salvation through Jesus Christ within these pages. Because if we do not receive Christ as our Savior, then how can we properly serve you and be an example to our families? So as we get into your word today, Lord, I pray that you will just speak to us no matter where we are and that we will strive to honor you better as the, as the time goes by. In Jesus' name we do pray these things. Amen. So how did Boaz portray godliness? We're going to give three occasions or three examples of how he portrayed godliness. The first one is he portrayed godliness through his demonstration of respect. His demonstration of respect. So the word respect, if you look at it, just Google search it real quick, the first definition you get is respect is a feeling of deep admiration for someone or something elicited by their abilities, qualities, or achievements. 
and really according to the world standards, respect typically must be earned through our actions and through our achievements. And on the same token, respect can often be lost through our own failings. And if you notice in recent years, it seems that the mentality has arisen in which people are taught through our music, through movies, and through other media outlets that respect can and should be actually demanded of others regardless of whether or not it has been earned by the recipient. However, the Bible teaches a countercultural method to respect, namely that respect should be given. And we see that with Boaz as in our example. So in Ruth chapter number 2, we're going to start in verse number 1 and read on to verse number 4. And the Bible says, And Naomi had a kinsman of her husband's, a mighty man of wealth, of the family of Elimelech, and his name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabitess said unto Naomi, Let me now go to the field and glean ears of corn after him in whose sight I shall find grace. And she said unto her, Go, my daughter. Now just to give a little background to the culture, uh, it was a, ordained by God through the Mosaic Law that if you had a field or had any sort of land, you would actually leave the corners of the field untouched when, you, when it was time for reaping. That way the poor and the widows and those who could not afford to help themselves could actually go in and take whatever food and provision they needed to sustain their family. So that is exactly what Ruth is doing. As a widow, both her and Naomi really couldn't have a job. And so they had to rely on the hospitality of others in order to sustain themselves. And so Ruth is going and trying to find some fields in which she can glean. And verse number three, and she went and came and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And her hap was to light on a part of the field belonging unto Boaz, who was of the kindred of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said unto the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered him, The Lord bless thee. So notice in verse number four that when Boaz arrives from the town onto his field, he actually greets his reapers with a blessing before they greet him. And so the idea that the master showing respect toward the servant does not happen often in the Middle Eastern culture. Normally, the master waits for the servant to offer the greeting first or offer the acknowledgement. But for him to do it before to his servants, that's quite uncommon and shows a great deal of respect. He also shows great respect and kindness towards Ruth in verses 5 through 17. We're not going to read those, but I want you to read them later on. And so the way that he shows respect to her in those, in those verses is he provides her with a meal. He actually invites her to come eat with his reapers at lunchtime. And he even asks his reapers to purposefully leave handfuls of grain for her to pick up because normally when they're gleaning, anything that falls to the ground, they're not allowed to pick up. They leave that for the widows and for those who need it. And so he asks his reapers to actually purposely just leave some more on the ground. So she comes out, comes home with an abundance, more than what was expected from this time. And Naomi is shocked and surprised. And Ruth tells her what happened. And Naomi reveals that Boaz is actually a near kinman. And that's going to play a vital part in their lives later on. But going deeper into the issue of respect, God makes it clear in his word that we should be respectful towards him and towards, other, towards others. In fact, if we were to even look at the Ten Commandments that is described in Exodus chapter number 20, we can see the importance of giving God respect. In fact, we show by giving respect to his holiness in verses 2 through 6. 
uh, respect to his name in verse number 7, respect to his worship, verses 8 through 11. And in regards to others, we are to give respect to our parents in verse number 12, respect to life, verse number 13, respect to marriage, verse number 14, Respect to property in verses 15 and 17, and also respect to truth in verse number 16. In every area of the Ten Commandments, we are to give respect. Another passage that speaks on respect, especially within the home, is in Ephesians chapters 5 and 6. Now, if you tuned in to our prayer with Pastor this, uh, this morning, he actually talked about Ephesians chapter 5 and how we are to walk circumspectly and how we're supposed to demonstrate our Christian walk through our actions. Now, I would say that was a coincidence, but our God does not deal in coincidence, so I do believe that was a, there's a reason why we're both talking about that today. Now, while I recommend beginning in chapter 5 of Ephesians in verse number 20, talking about submitting one to another, we're actually going to go down and briefly look at verse uh, 33, and we're going to move onward to verse number 4 of chapter number 6. And I'm going to go ahead and find it in my Bible. Although I do have it in my notes, I prefer actually trying to find it in the scriptures and read it from the Bible itself. So, <clears throat> Ephesians chapter number 5 and verse number 33, the Apostle Paul writes, Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. Chapter 6 and verse 1, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. In verse 4, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So as we read through the passage in Ephesians, it would appear that the husbands and fathers, oh, I'm calling you out men, set the tone for respect in the household. In other words, how you respect your wife, gentlemen, will determine the respect that you receive in kind and will even be reflective in how your children will treat their mother because they are looking at you for that example because whether you like it or not, you are being a role model towards them. Likewise, how you respect your children will determine whether they respect you in kind or grow to resent you in later years and not just you but any authoritative figure. Now, another disclaimer that I want to give in regards to the giving of respect, because this is, a, I think, a rather touchy issue in our day and age. Though I truly believe in giving respect to those in authority over us, as directed in the Bible, because there are certain passages, such as Romans chapter 13, Titus chapter 3, and 1 Peter chapter 2, talking about the authority and subjection that we give over you know, princes and rulers and governors. I do not believe God has respect towards the foolish and sinful. In fact, there are several verses in the Proverbs and even in the New Testament that talk about how God does not really respect those who live in a sinful way. In fact, if you even look in the life of Christ with his dealings with the Pharisee and the religious leaders, using terms such as hypocrite, brood of vipers, white sepulchers, the blind leaving the blind, those are, not rather, those are not respectful terms because he did not respect how he treated, how they treated the people. You know, those who willfully defy God's sovereignty and authority over creation, he has no respect for them. However, regardless of any man's views, I do believe Christians should still have enough respect to see those people as souls in need of a Savior. 
and if nothing else, we need to strive to pray that they would have opportunity to receive Christ before it is eternally too late. Because even if you say, well, I just cannot respect that individual, or I cannot respect that leader, you should still give respect to God because he gave you the commandment to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, regardless of whether or not you agree with them. So we see that example from Boaz as a demonstration of respect, that we are to give respect regardless. The second example that Boaz gives is his acknowledgement of responsibility. His acknowledgement of responsibility. So it is a truth that everyone has some form of responsibility in their lives, whether we like it or not. Husbands, you have a responsibility to your wives and to your families to protect them and provide for them. Wives, you have a responsibility to your husbands and your children to encourage them and to nurture them. Children, you have a responsibility to your parents and even to your teachers to heed their instructions. And we can keep going. Employers have responsibility to their employees. Employees have responsibility to their employers, and the list can go on. The point of it is everybody has responsibilities. But the question at hand is how often do we faithfully accept the responsibilities given to us, and how often do we actually neglect them? As we see in Boaz's example, he took the responsibilities given him and completed them without excuse. And we see this illustrated in Ruth chapter number 3. Now we're actually going to start in verse number 6, but I do want to give a quick background of the first five verses. Uh, Naomi is giving instructions to Ruth to go to Boaz at the threshing floor because the time of the harvest has ended. They have gleaned everything, and so now there's a celebration. Uh, Boaz is going to go to protect uh, his crops from thieves. And so Ruth or Naomi is giving instructions to Ruth to pretty much gussy herself up so that she can go and more or less offer a proposition to Boaz, a proposal, if you will, to take up the duties of the kinsman redeemer. Now, there's something else I want to say because I, as I was trying to do some studies, I read some articles of people trying to more or less corrupt this particular passage of scripture, and I want to kind of clarify because I believe it's important. The verses that we're about to read does not give evidence that Ruth and Boaz had any form of intimate relationship together at this time. Because, number one, that is against the commandments of God. The Mosaic law that God gave was very clear that that was a death penalty. That any tor any type of relationship that a man and woman have, particularly romantically, stays within the confines of marriage. And we know that Boaz was a righteous man, Ruth was a virtuous woman, and so they would have known better. And so any person that tries to teach that they had relations with each other in this time is false. And the Bible teaches that, that they kept respect towards one another at this time. So we're going to move on. The verse number 6 of Ruth chapter number 3. And she, being Ruth, went down unto the floor, and did according to all that her mother-in-law bade her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk, and his heart was merry, he went, down, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of corn. And she came softly, and uncovered his feet, and laid her down. That was an illustration, an action that often servants would do with their masters as a sign of loyalty and humility. And verse number 8, And it came to pass at midnight that the man was afraid, and turned himself, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. And he said, Who art thou? 
And she answered, I am Ruth, thine handmaid. Spread therefore thy skirt over thy handmaid, for thou art a near kinsman. So that is the proposal that Ruth gave to Boaz. Verse number 10, And he said, Blessed be thou of the Lord, my daughter, for thou hast showed more kindness in the latter end than at the beginning, inasmuch as thou followest not young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, fear not. I will do to thee all that thou requirest, for all the city of my people doth know that thou art a virtuous woman. And now it is true that I am thy near kinsman. Howbeit, there is a kinsman nearer than I. Tarry this night, and it shall be in the morning, that if he will perform unto thee the part of a kinsman, well, let him do the kinsman part. But if he will not do the part of a kinsman to thee, then will I do the part of a kinsman to thee, as the Lord liveth, lie down until the morning. So that's Ruth chapter number 3, verses 6 through 13. So in this passage, we are told of two main responsibilities that Boaz committed to. In verse number 7, Boaz went to lie down at the end of the heap of corn, meaning that he was staying to protect his harvest from potential thieves. And, you know, for the owner of the field to do this himself rather than, you know, ordering a servant do it, I believe is highly commendable and inspiring when we're tempted to push our responsibilities onto somebody else. That if we have something to do, we need to go ahead and take care of it. In verses 10 through 13, Boaz discusses with Ruth the law of the kinsman redeemer. And this is actually described in Deuteronomy chapter number 25, verses 5 through 10. I'm going to go ahead and turn to that and read it for you. And I believe it's also discussed in Leviticus chapter 25, but for the sake of clarity, we're just going to stay in Deuteronomy. And so Deuteronomy chapter number 25, verses 5 through 10. So this is Moses speaking to the people and giving some final commandments and reminders of the law that God gave to them to the children of Israel. And it says, If brethren dwell together, and one of them die, and have no child, the wife of the dead shall not marry without unto a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go in unto her, and take her to, to him to wife, and perform the duty of a husband's brother unto her. And it shall be that the firstborn which she beareth shall succeed in the name of his brother which is dead, that his name be not put out of Israel. And if the man like not to take his brother's wife, then let his brother's wife go up to, to the gate of the, unto the elders and say, My husband's brother refuseth to raise up unto his brother a name in Israel. He will not perform the duty of my husband's brother. Then the elders of his city shall call him and speak unto him, and if he, say, if he stand to it and say, I like not to take her. Then shall his brother's wife come unto him in the presence of the elders and loose his shoe from off his foot, and spit in his face, and shall answer and say, So shall it be done unto that man that will not build up his brother's house. And his name shall be called in Israel, the house of him that hath his shoe loosed. Now when we taught this to some of our children, to our, one of our Sunday school classes not too long ago, the obvious question that came up when we described it is, why would they take their shoe off to demonstrate this action? And the answer is, I don't know. This is just the action that God wanted the people to do, and so because it's part of their culture, we don't really have a right to question it, and so we might as well just respect it and move on. But the kinsman redeemer, to summarize, Boaz was willing to take Ruth as his, as his wife in order to keep her first husband's name and legacy from drying out, pretty much to raise a child in the name of Malon, 
his, her dead husband. And we actually see this being played out in chapter number four. You know, just to give a quick summary, beginning in verse number one, you know, the next day, as Boaz said, he goes to the city gate, which more or less acted like the town hall where business was conducted. He waited until this near relation, we're not given his name, but he waited until this near relation came passing by. He called him out to discuss this business. Boaz then uh, asked 10 of the city elders to come by to be the witnesses. He offers the duty of kinsman redeemer to this near relation. The near relation refuses when he realizes that he has to marry Ruth and give up his legacy. So he forsakes this responsibility. And Boaz says, well, I'll go ahead and take it up from you. And then the shoe is exchanged. And then Boaz marries Ruth. And so for this to happen, for Boaz to take this responsibility as the kinsman redeemer also meant that he was willing to sacrifice his own inheritance for Ruth's sake. And that is a reminder that our responsibilities can sometimes require sacrifice on our part. You know, the scriptures remind us in Colossians 3.23, And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. The responsibilities we have in this life are often given to us by God as a means of worship and also as a means of witness to others. And Boaz exemplifies the mentality that we should do our that we should do our tasks, that we should take the responsibilities and perform them to the best of our abilities, for God is going to receive the glory for them. And that's a wonderful example of how we can portray godliness in our lives so we see Boaz demonstrating respect we see him acknowledging responsibility and the third and final point we have of how Boaz portrayed godliness is through his relationship to his roles relationship to his roles now as stated in the previous point we all have responsibilities in our lives but many of our tasks and our duties are tied with different roles that we have as well if I may use myself as an example, I have three major roles currently in my life. I have the role of a husband to my lovely wife, Bethany. I have the role of father to our beautiful seven-month-old daughter, Beatrix. And I also have the role of minister as the children's pastor here at Hillside Baptist Church. And some of you may be able to, to uh, sympathize that you have similar roles as well. Now, although each role we possess has value in them, and we can take great joy in performing them, we must be careful in regards to our relationship to our roles. Particularly when we begin to seek our identity as a person within a certain role in our lives. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, let me illustrate. I have heard numerous stories you know, from fellow ministers, also you know, on a Christian radios, um, about parents who pursue their identity and their role of father or mother to their children. So as their children grow, they will invest more and more of their time and resources to the children's development, which in and of itself is not bad. But what happens when the children are grown and move out of the house? You know, when they pack up to go to college or they get married and begin their own families. See, what happens is the father or mother, then lose their identity because what they have invested in for the past 18 plus years is gone. And they are now living in a house with a spouse they have neglected, whether intentionally or in, unintentionally, for all these years. 
And statistics have even proven that divorce rates increase during a couple's empty nest years because they no longer identify with their role as husband or wife. They no longer find fulfillment in that particular role because their identity is lost. And this illustration can be used for any role that we may have. I mean, what happens to the children when parents are identifying more with their role as spouses, when the reverse is true, when the parents care more about themselves as husband and wives, and they begin neglecting their relationship with the children? You know, the children may quickly realize, well, mom and dad have no time for me. I mean, they're off doing things by themselves. They're always leaving home. They're never home. And so now I'm off with who know, with whoever taking care of me. Well, if that continues to happen, bitterness and resentment towards authority figures can settle in and an angry child will quickly grow into an angry adult. Or what about the man who pours himself into his work day in and day out, not leaving any time for the family? You know, he has began, he has begun to find his identity and his role as provider, and he's forgetting the greatest provision his family actually needs, which is his presence. And of course, what happens if he gets laid off? Like, for example, what's happening with our, with the coronavirus pandemic, when so many folks have lost their jobs. There are some men and some individuals in their homes right now who are angry, and they're taking it out on their families because they have lost their identity because they no longer have a job. And if I, you know, if I may return to another personal example for myself, I myself have been struggling with this issue recently. Not that I've been trying to identify myself with any of the roles that I play, but I have another problem when I've been trying to juggle the roles that I have. And I've been trying to do it with my own strength. And it's caused tension within our home. There's been more than one occasion where Bethany has had to call me out because I have not been performing my duties properly. And it's hurt and has humbled me quite a bit. And as I've been thinking about it, you know, it wasn't really until probably last week the light bulb clicked because I'm a slow learner, that the problem that I had was not with my responsibilities or with the rules I was trying to perform. My problem was I was actually neglecting the greatest relationship that I could ever have. I was neglecting my relationship with God. In the midst of trying to be a good husband, a good father, and even a good minister, I was not taking time to spend with my Heavenly Father. And, of course, you know, I was getting into the Word and I was praying often, but it wasn't for my personal growth. It was for my, my lessons and for my sermons and for other things. And so it was just the idea and the reminder that when we strive to put anything ahead of our relationship with God, we will fail, period. And, you know, the Bible gives evidence for the truth. I'm going to give three brief examples from the Old Testament. You know, the first one is Adam, right in the middle of Genesis. In Genesis chapter 3, you know, he chose his role as a husband. And so he put his wife, Eve, ahead of God's ordinance not to eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And that caused sin to enter into the world. That's a big problem. Or you go further on in Genesis chapter number 16, Abraham, as a patriarch, decided that he wasn't going to trust God to provide a son, so he went into his wife's servant and brought a son that way, thinking that that's good enough. We're still dealing with that issue in our world today. Or going forward in 2 Samuel 11 and 12, David, even though he was a faithful man of God, at some point decided to 
identify him with himself with his role as a king. And he decided to have relations with a married woman, which caused a chain reaction of tragic events, including her husband's murder, and it also included the death of his children. So what can we do to ensure balance between the roles that we have in our lives? Well, the answer is actually surprisingly simple. We find our identity in God. We pursue our identity in the one that never changes. And we, and we work on our relationship on the one who never leaves us nor forsakes us. As we look back to Boaz as our primary example, he had several roles in his life, but none of them conflicted. Why? Well, I believe it's because he didn't pursue his identity in his roles. He did not pursue his identity as a landowner. He didn't pursue his identity as a kinsman redeemer. He didn't pursue his identity as a husband or as a father. He pursued his identity in God. He was a servant of the Lord in every aspect. And because of this faithfulness, Boaz had a proper relationship with the roles that was given to him. I mean, is it any wonder that the majority of Bible scholars and theologians actually give Boaz as an Old Testament example of Christ? That he is a type of Christ? It's because he had a proper relationship with God. But you know, we can have balance in our lives as well when we pursue our identity in the Lord. You know, one of my favorite verses reminds us in Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's a wonderful way where we can find our identity in the one who saved us. So, how did Boaz portray godliness? Well, Boaz portrayed godliness through his demonstration of respect. He portrayed it through his acknowledgement of responsibility. And he portrayed it through his relationship to his roles. Now, as we have looked into the life of Boaz, I would like to remind us that though the scriptures do not highlight his flaws or failures, he was still a sinner in need of salvation, as do we all. But the point but the point that the Bible says nothing of his sin reveals that he did not allow it to hinder his relationship. And I find that inspired. I find that inspiring by that testimony. Like many of our viewers, I'm an avid Facebook user. You know, I'm on it pr pr practically every day. And around the time that Betty was born, I actually joined a closed group for Christian dads that, you know, I heard about on a radio that uh, one of the programs I listened to interviewed the creator of this. And so I joined and it's been an encouragement to me so far. But I'm also saddened by this group because not a day has gone by without at least one other fellow member sending a post saying, please pray for me, my wife wants a divorce. Or please pray for me, my wife has left the house with the kids and I don't know what to do. Why? Well, it's because our homes are being attacked more aggressively than any other time in world history. Ladies and gentlemen, we are in need of God in our homes. 
And though it may not seem like it, this pandemic may be the Lord's way of getting us, of granting us another chance to renew our commitment to him, to lay the foundations of our marriages, our families, our communities on the bedrock of Christ. And it gives us the opportunity to rekindle the passion once burning within our hearts for his truth. The scriptures provide the way that we can follow to find God. But we must be willing to humble ourselves before his throne and to seek his will for our homes. Will you surrender your life, your family, your all to the Savior today? If you have never received Christ as your Lord and Savior, you can begin a new relationship with him tonight. In fact, the steps are as easy as A, B, C. You must first admit that you are a sinner. God's word makes it very clear that we have all have sinned. For the scriptures say in Romans 3.10, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Admitting that there is something wrong with your life is one of the hardest actions to take. But there is hope. The, ver- the scripture also says in Romans 6.23, For the wages, the payment of our sin, is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. When you admit that you are a sinner, then the next step you can take is believe that Jesus died and rose again to pay for your sins. You can put your total trust in Jesus as your only hope for salvation. Jesus told us in John chapter number 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father except through me. So realize that Jesus paid the price for your sins on the cross. Perhaps one of the most famous verses in all the Bible is John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Verse 17 says, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might believe. So you can believe on him today. And once you are willing to do that, not just with your words, but also with your heart, then you can confess that Jesus is Lord of your life. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says that thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thy heart that God hath raised him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And Romans 10, 13 says for whosoever, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. No matter what you have done, no matter what background you have, no matter what part of the world you're from, you can receive the free gift of salvation through Christ. If you would like to know more about what it means to be saved or would like someone to lead through the scriptures the way of salvation, you can call us. Our phone number is 417-865-7286. You can also send us an email. You can send us a Facebook message. You can find us at hillsidebc.com. But the point of it is we are here to talk to you. You don't have to hesitate. You can call us right now. So I'm going to go ahead and pray. Of course, I can't pray for your salvation. Only you can do that. But I pray you'll have the courage to do so. And for those of you who have already been saved, what are you doing to be a witness to those who need the Savior? 
Our Father God, again, we just want to say thank you for giving us this opportunity, for giving us hope in a hopeless situation. The world is controlled by fear. The world is controlled by doubt. And there is sin all around. But yet, we can put our faith in you. And we're grateful for the opportunity to receive Christ as our Lord and Savior. And this salvation doesn't last for a moment. doesn't last for a day even a lifetime. It can last for all of eternity. And I pray that if there's anyone watching tonight who does not know the Savior, that you would convict their heart and give them the courage to receive that gift. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.